0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our WISE program today from beginner to boss. We have an incredible program. We're thrilled to have Veronica Dagger and Jean Chaskey with us. But before we get started, just a couple of minutes about WISE. I'm Angela Daly, WISE CEO. In 1997, a small but very determined group of women met in Orange County to put on an investment conference for women. They had no idea what to expect and were overwhelmed when more than 500 signed up and they knew they were onto something. Fast forward more than 25 years later, and Wise has pivoted, grown, expanded its footprint nationwide. But remains true to its original mission of financial empowerment, economic empowerment for females of all ages and all backgrounds. We believe if you manage your money better, you're going to have more opportunities, more options in life, and very importantly, financial security. WISE works through organizations such as Girl Scouts, Girls Inc., and universities, and every year we reach thousands with this message. Today's program is part of our groundbreaking Tearing Down the Pink Wall series, which gathers the best and the brightest to both inspire us and educate us, all under the mantra, she can be what she can see. We have two fabulous role models with us today, Jean Chatsky and Veronica Dagger, who both share with a passion our our mission of financial empowerment for women. Jean Chatsky. Is one of the nation's most respected and admired and listened to financial gurus. She has quite the resume. She was the financial editor on NBC's Today Show for more than 25 years and now heads up her own multimedia company, hermoney.com. She's also an award winning journalist and an author. But what's not on her resume? is the fact that she has an uncanny ability to take financial topics and not only simplify them, but make them interesting and even fun. Investing is not rocket science, but we do need someone to explain it to us in plain English. And that's what Jean does absolutely brilliantly. So I urge you all when this uh, uh, webinar is over to go to her website, hermoney.com and sign up for both her newsletter, which is fabulous and investing fix for one month free. So um, now for our moderator, Veronica Decker. Veronica is an award-winning journalist, personal finance reporter at The Wall Street Journal, the newspaper of record in finance. She's also a regular on Fox Business News and has her own podcast series, um, uh, The Secrets of Wealthy Women. Now, I've known Veronica for many years, and she's a special person, a special friend. But what I didn't know until recently was how personal this whole mission of financial empowerment for women is. Her father passed away prematurely, leaving her mother with two young children and grappling to get her arms around a personal finance. their their own finances. So she impressed on Veronica at an early age, the importance of being able to manage your money, know where your money is, know where you're invested in and know know what you owe. So her experiences, Veronica's experiences, perfectly dovetail with our wise mission, getting control of your finances one step at a time, which is a perfect setup to begin our webinar. We need more Veronica's and Gene Chasky's in our lives. So uh, put your questions in the Q&A box not the chat box. We're going to take them at the end. And as with all of our webinars, it's for informational purposes only. Don't make any changes until you consult with your trusted advisors. So with that, over to you, Veronica and Jean. Wow, what an intro.
1: Thank you so much, Angela. And thank you, Wise, for having us. We're so excited to be here. This is going to be an amazing event. I can tell already, I'm sure we're going to have some great audience questions. So I want to make sure people know that at the end we're going to take your questions. So please be putting them in the chat box as we go along and we're going to get to them. And um, it is my great pleasure to chat with Jean Chatsky today. She is a woman who, as you know, needs no introduction. Jean, you are just a wealth of money savvy and your reputation just precedes you. And I'm sure everyone on here knows who you are, but (laughs) I would just love to hear more from you about your personal money story, especially when it comes to women and money, because that is something that you are just so passionate about. Is there a specific moment or incident that got you focused on this area?
2: Well, absolutely. Happy to tell you the story. Always really good to see you, Veronica, even when we're not in the same room. And Angela, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the introduction um, to WISE. I'm inspired just listening to your origin story. So, um, So I'm excited to have this conversation today. Boy, pointing to one moment, Veronica, that's a little bit hard. But if I had to do it, I would point to the year that I turned 40. Um, The year I turned 40 is the year my father died, which I um, now know that you can absolutely relate to. Um, It's the year I got divorced. It's the year uh, that I got fired. And it's the year that I turned 40. So like oh all God. of those things <laughs> happened at one point. Yeah. And I, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a career that was already pretty involved in, in the gig economy. I had a lot of jobs um, in addition to the money magazine job that I lost. I I was already working for the Today Show and working for a number of other people, but that whole year-long experience. Caused me to really focus on my own money once again, but also on money for women. I, I didn't want any woman to find themselves in any of those scenarios that I found myself in and not be able to write their own ship. And so that was um when I started really looking at, at women and money. It was when I started thinking about her money as a podcast and as a company, although it took a little while for it to actually um, materialize. And um, that's the work that we continue to do a number of years later.
1: Wow. What an incredible story. And what a survivor, what a strong woman you must be to have gone through all that and come out so beautifully on the other side. How did you, I'm just curious, how did you find that strength during that time? And and I would imagine
2: there was a lot of financial pressure happening. Well, there was, there was a lot of financial pressure because I was um, an equal earner with my ex-husband, which meant that I was on the hook for college. I was on uh, the hook for my own retirement. Um, I wanted to buy a house because I was the one who was going to be moving. And I wanted to be very sure that my kids, uh, when they were with me, would be absolutely as comfortable and as at home as they were when they were with their dad. And I rallied a team. I mean, I, I got some really, really good advice. I had a good financial planner i had a good accountant i had a good therapist and i had really good friends and i needed every single one of them uh during that year i think and i think you can probably attest to this people look at people like me and like you and they think that we have all the answers and in reality What I think I'm really good at is asking the questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Being a personal finance reporter has allowed me for 35 years to get the smartest people on the planet on the phone Mm -hmm. and ask them my questions about credit cards and mortgages and investing And then ask the questions again when I didn't understand the answer until it started to actually sink in. Mm -hmm. These are not topics that we're necessarily born knowing how to understand. And even when we are, the industry makes it their job to try to confuse us time and time again. And so knowing that it's okay to dig in and ask your questions and get the information that you need until you understand it is what I think it's all about.
1: Absolutely, yes. Asking the questions, knowing that there's no stupid questions, and if someone tells you you have a stupid question, that's not the case. Uh, and also, uh, I know from my own experience, having made a lot of the mistakes. Um, that's <laughs> I've done it all. So. Um, uh-huh. Yep, yep. So um, so women and money, I'm wondering, and it's hard to generalize, especially when it comes to investing, but I, I'm wondering, um, when is there some common threads you've seen among women um when it comes to money and investing, women and investing? It, um, like I said, it's such a broad and diverse group, but are there are there are common notes?
2: There there are, and I think they're notes that are important for us to pay attention to because they tend to run um along a theme. I, I wrote a book a few years back called Women with Money. You and I have talked about that before, but in doing my research for that book, one of the things that I did off the bat was go out and ask a lot of women what they wanted from their money. Just a very open-ended question. And from women at all different points of life, I heard a lot of the same themes. We want safety, we want security, we want stability, we want savings, actual cash in the bank. And as I followed those breadcrumbs, I started to see the different ways that that Sort of information would show up. Fidelity did a study at one point where they pointed to the fact that women had a lot of excess money sitting in our checking accounts that we should have been investing. It wasn't our emergency cushion. It wasn't money that was tied to a particular goal. We just felt safer having it sit in cash than we did investing it. Um, and this was at a, at a point when. Interest rates were a lot lower than than they are right now. So we were we were losing money after taxes and inflation on on that money. I, ha- I saw this desire for safety and security show up in things like like the fact that we don't just want homes. We want homes with paid off mortgages mm-hmm. and we don't just want cars. We want cars with all the safety features, with every possible airbag and all the backup Cameras, and and I've seen it in the research that we conducted at Her Money just recently. We fielded a, a survey that we call our State of Women, twenty twenty three. It was twenty twenty three. We did it in twenty twenty two. We'll do it again this year. And we asked, um, we asked about what financial wellness is to people. We actually surveyed both men and women in this survey. This year, we fielded it with the folks at Principal Financial. And what we found that was that for women, financial wellness feels like financial peace, much more than it does for men. It's the lack of stress. It's the lack of anxiety. And, and I think that colors many of our interactions with money.
1: Would you? And it seems like you're you're definitely getting at this. Like in terms of some of the fears women have about investing, you said there's a need for safety. So,
2: uh, what's the fear behind that? Is it loss? Yeah, I I think it is loss. It's the fear of losing money. It's the fear of getting the answer wrong. It's the fear of of not knowing when when we look at, at women as investors we see women are fantastic investors um, there've been a, a number of studies that point to the fact that women are better investors than men in many cases um and 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 in part because we trade less frequently so we we get in we we get we do our homework we figure out what's going to work we buy it we stick with it. The problem that we have, and I think this is where that fear element comes in, is that we tend to be late to the party. Uh, we, We tend to hold off before we get in because we want to know that the answer is the correct answer. And Although there are some types of personal finance where I can give you an answer and I can pretty much guarantee that it's going to be the right answer, you know, which is the best mileage credit card. I can't do that with investing because it's not, uh, it, it doesn't work that way. And so we have to get ourselves to the point where we're more satisfied with the good enough, um, where we know that we've got answers that are good enough on a historical basis that, are, that will carry us through, um, but not... Uh, allow ourselves to be held back from digging in, whether that is digging in uh, via our retirement accounts at work, or if we can do more than that, because we have additional money in in discretionary brokerage accounts. I think
1: part of changing a mindset or getting rid of a fear is understanding where it comes from. Do you have a sense of where some of these Sounds like very specific fears that may be specific to women come, some women come from.
2: I think we're socialized this way still to a degree. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, a lot of us were raised by mothers who believed that you didn't talk about money. And so as a result, maybe we were a little more reticent to talk about money. Um, When something seems like you shouldn't be talking about it, it is a little more scary perhaps than it used to be. Um, Also, the, the division of labor in our households has often meant that women do the cash management and the the shopping and the budgeting. Women are are responsible typically for about 85% of all purchases. Men have often uh, taken on the investing. And when you aren't involved in something, when you're not doing something, then it seems uh, a little more frightening. Now we're starting to see that change um, with with younger women, which is amazing, and I think one of the big reasons that we're starting to see it change is auto enrollment into retirement plans, um, which the Secure Act uh, has just basically said is going to happen across across the board. Means that you're doing it whether you chose to do it or not. And once you've got a stake in the game, you're more likely to pay attention to it. You're more likely to acknowledge that you, in fact are, are doing it, doing it pretty well. But this is why I'm so enamored with our investing fix program. Um, Angela talked about our investing fix program. It's our it's our investment club for women. Um, my my friend, Karen Feinerman, who is on CNBC, she's a professional investor. She and I are teaching investing every other Monday night on Zoom to a group of hundreds of women. Um, we're presenting stocks and talking about things like asset allocation and diversification and answering questions in a very low risk sort of a setting where people feel free to ask all their questions mm-hmm. where they don't have to buy the investments where we're building a portfolio together and everybody votes on what we the club buy for our portfolio, which is beating the market by the way. and okay. um, and and it's it's just bringing people along in a way where we don't feel like um, like there's that much on the line.
1: For those of you who don't know, Karen, Karen is wonderful, too. So I, that sounds like a really fun club. I might look into that myself, Jean. Uh, come along. Yes, yes. Um, and I just want to hit on this, this negative money messages a little bit more. You know, we might say to ourselves, we're not smart enough to be a good investor. How do we get over some of that messaging, which we may not even realize we're, we're saying for ourselves? It's just kind of programmed inside of us, but it's preventing us from taking those next steps.
2: So the the way I got over it um, was by just going with what I knew to be true historically. So historically, we know boring investing tends to be better investing. And by boring investing, I mean, buy the indexes, keep your costs low, Put money in every single time you get paid by dollar cost averaging through a retirement program. Grab all the matching dollars and then watch your accounts. And and by watching your accounts through good markets and through bad markets, you see that over time, the trend is up. Over time, even when we have a 2022, which was a disastrous year, the markets have come back. The markets are are in fact up and and i gotta say i was i was at my desk in 1987 for black monday mm-hmm. um through the dot-com boom and bust in 2008 i i've seen this a number of times it it comes back and the lesson that you learn is that if you just do it you will learn that you can do it um which i i know is hard to wrap your arms around if you're not doing it today. But just dipping a toe in the water and showing yourself that you actually can is I think the best way to convince yourself that you can do more. Hmm. Hmm. So we have investors of all
1: ages and stages on this call, which is so great. So I'd love to chat a little bit more about getting started as as we're talking about now. Um, so first of all, Again, a little bit with the mindset. Someone might say, well, I'm saving. I I put money in a savings account. Why do I have to invest anyway? Why is this so important?
2: Because right now, if you put money into a plain vanilla savings account at a bank, it's earning you 0.3% three-tenths of 1%, maybe 0.4%. But at that rate, you're losing purchasing power after taxes and inflation. If you put money into a high-yield savings account, and I've, I've been following your coverage, Veronica, at the Wall Street Journal of, of about how these high-yield savings accounts are really you got to watch them because they're not all paying what we think they're paying. But even if you've got the best of the high yield savings accounts, you're putting your money away and you're going to earn 5% maybe. Um, And as the federal reserve starts to lower interest rates, which we think is coming down the pike sometime, perhaps in 2024, if not 2025, those returns are going to start to go down once again. Historically, if you put money into the stock market into an S&P 500 index fund, you're going to earn 10%, you know, and, and even if we don't keep up with those historical returns, because we are coming off a very strong period of a couple of decades of bull market returns, even if that doesn't continue, if you go all the way back to to um, the crash of it, it, in the 20s, the Great Depression, you're going to earn more than 8%. That is how we stay ahead of taxes and inflation. And, and that is how we grow long lasting wealth by putting our money to work and spending a lot of time in the market and not giving into our emotions when the markets get volatile or scary and pulling our money out. And, and the reason that it's more important for women is because we are going to live a really long time. When when we look at longevity trends, um longevity over the last couple of decades has just gone up and it's gone up particularly for women. And so not investing, I think is is actually a way to hold yourself back from being able to enjoy those last couple of decades the way that you would hope to.
1: It's reframing a little bit that not investing is risky. Yes. Uh, uh, What about, I remember when I started out my career, I was, I don't know, $30,000, like hardly making any money for living in New York City. And I remember saying to my mom, like, I can't afford to invest. I can barely, you know, make my rent with a roommate. I don't have enough money. And she was like, you have to contribute to your 401k. You have to do it. And, and I did uh, listening to her. I'm wondering though, I'm sure so many people um, today might be feeling the same way. Like, I don't feel like I have enough money to invest. What what do you say to them?
2: Um, I I say, I get it. I mean that $30,000 I got to say sounds pretty good to me. My starting salary in New York in 1986 was $11,500. Mm-hmm. Um and and you know it, taking the subway back and forth to work it was it, it, paying rent in Brooklyn it was not easy to to make ends meet. I I got a second job at that point just to just to be able to afford to stay here. Um I would say try to do something. If you can't, if, if you look at, at these sorts of wages, when you're young, when you're in your 20s, particularly if you are saddled with student loan debt, mm-hmm. it can feel absolutely impossible to, uh, to put money into your retirement plan at work. But you got to try. Try to at least Get yourself to a point where you're grabbing some of those matching dollars. And then every time you get a raise, nudge up your contribution a little bit. That's the easiest time to do it because you can put more into retirement without taking money out of what you're used to taking home. And this year, again, um, thanks to the SECURE Act, employers now have the ability to Uh, match what you're putting toward student loan repayment in your 401k. So if you are using your resources to pay down or pay off your student loans, your employer can put its matching contributions in your retirement. So it gets away from that problem of, of young people not being able to contribute at all during those early years.
1: That's great. That's great. Um so it, it can be feel overwhelming to start. So if you had to give us one or two steps that we could take right after this
2: event to start investing, what would you tell us? Well, if you're not in your company's retirement plan, but you have one, call HR and just ask them about the steps to get enrolled if you don't have one and there are a lot of people who work for small companies or work for themselves open a Roth ira and figure out how much you can afford to kick in on a monthly basis maybe it's fifty dollars maybe it's a hundred dollars i'm sorry that nobody's matching it for you do it anyway um put that money into a total stock market index fund or an S&P 500 index fund and just call it a day. But let the money go in, let it continue to, let it start to to grow for you. And then if you're interested in this picking of individual stocks, if you want to know why everybody's talking about NVIDIA, or if you want to understand, you know, what's going on with with Meta or with crypto ETFs, then then our investing program might be interesting to you. Um, you know, again, it's not it's not like we're all pooling assets, but we are learning enough about these things that that we we bought Nvidia. When it was about half of what it is today. So it, right. you know, we 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 get into the zeitgeist, we talk about it. We definitely have some picks that have not panned out so well. Um, but I think it's interesting to learn about how companies function and if we should be investing with our values, or if that's just a recipe for losing money. I think it's I think it's fascinating mm-hmm. to, to learn these these lessons just so you can talk about them because they're certainly in the papers every single day
1: what's a mistake you've seen beginner investors
2: make so we switch jobs a lot more frequently than we used to um, people used to go to work for a company they would stay there a really long time not necessarily to retirement but enough to allow the money in their retirement accounts to grow um, we we switch. Very quickly. And as a result, we have these small balances in our retirement accounts. And when we leave those jobs, sometimes the money just seems like it's not even worth rolling over. It's not worth rolling into the new plan. It's not worth rolling into an IRA. This was a biggie. And I did this when I left that first job. I had a 401k, I didn't get it. Um, When I left that job, I got a check in the mail. I I just went shopping. I was thrilled and then I had to pay taxes on that check. So that was that was not a lot of it, not a lot of fun, but if you make it a habit to uh raid these 401k accounts, these orphan 401k accounts, you're never going to have anything left for retirement. Um so so try to make sure that you're that you are rolling that balance over. Um, Another mistake I I would say is this, um, the not rebalancing your accounts once a year. Uh, As we were talking about earlier, the markets have been on a nice run. But what that means is that If you decided that maybe you wanted 60% of your investments in stocks, the markets have run up to a point where you've got maybe 70% of your assets in stocks, having done nothing different um, just because of the way the markets have moved. And that means you're taking more risk than you initially decided that you wanted to take. So once a year, you can do it whenever you want. You can do it on your birthday. You can do it on the 4th of July. You, once a year, go back in and rebalance your mix. Bring it back into line with where, uh, where you thought it should be. The, the folks at Vanguard have done some research and, and have said once a year is enough. Um, you really don't have to do it more than that. You can decide that you're going to rebalance when when your mix gets out of whack by a particular percentage. If, if you're 15% out of whack, if you're 10% out of whack, you can bring it back into line at that point. But once a year is usually sufficient. Or if you know enough about yourself to know that you are just not gonna do that. And there are a lot of people who, who know that they're never gonna do that, just put your money in a target date fund and let it do it for you. Hmm. I, I wanna remind
1: everyone, we're already getting some questions in the QA. I would wanna remind everyone to ask away. Um, put some more questions in there and we'll we'll do our best to answer them at the end. So please keep thinking of what you'd like to ask us. Gene, uh, one of the tricky things, and you had mentioned this before, is all the ups and downs in the stock market. Whether it's two thousand eight or you know earlier times, it, it can be tricky to stay invested. What is your advice about tolerating
2: that volatility? Stop looking. Um, I mean, I think there comes a point where you have to just take that screenshot of your portfolio and and move it out of your line of sight. Um, Don't don't go to CNBC.com every day. Don't look at it, Uh, particularly if you know that you are likely to be susceptible to wanting to pull your money out. Um, the other time, to- the other thing that really helps at times like this is having somebody to talk to, having somebody to sort of talk you down. A financial advisor in the loop can be particularly helpful at this point, but there are even robo advisors that um, that can nudge you in in the right direction. I was. I was uh, meeting just last week with the CEO of a firm called Betterment, which is one of the, the large robo advisors. And they've got nudges built into their um, platform where, you know, if the markets start to fall and they see people trying to move money, they're going to ask them a question not to tell them they can't do it cuz it's their money but to get them to think twice ask a question about hey do you know if you do this you're going to have some tax ramifications do you know that if you do this there there you know you could be looking um at, at, a, at a taxable loss or gain or whatever, just to try to slow people down in the moment. And that that's what you want to do to yourself. You want to slow yourself down a little bit. It's a little like making an impulse purchase. Um, as somebody who likes to shop, and I, I, I like to shop, um, I will put artificial constraints around myself, Uh, so that I'm not uh, buying more than I want to buy. I'll I'll force myself to wait 24 hours before making a purchase. I'll leave things in my cart if I'm shopping online, um, just to think about them a little more and make sure that I don't already have two pairs of pants in my closet that look exactly like that so I don't need them anyway.
1: (laughs) Speaking of shopping, and and often debt comes with that, credit card debt, how do we balance dealing, paying off with credit card debt with investing? What, what what do we prioritize? How do we tackle which one we should handle first?
2: There, there are a couple of ways to look at this, and I actually like to look at it both ways. Um, the first is to look at it by the numbers. When you're paying off any debt, the return on your money is equal to that interest rate. So if you're paying off a credit card at 30%, that's a 30% return on your money. That's a lot. If you're paying off a student loan at 6 or 7%, that's a, that's a decent return on your money, but it's not as high as 30%. If you're paying off a mortgage at 3%, that's not a very good return on your money, which is why a lot of people are holding on to these, these very, very low rate mortgages that they've got. Now you compare that to the return that you get on your money by investing. If you're getting matching dollars, at 50 cents on the dollar, that's a 50 cent, 50% return on your money. That beats the 30% return that you get paying the credit card debt. So I try to stack it in my mind and look at, all right, where am I going to get the best m- numerical return on the money? But then you also have to look at it emotionally emotionally when we look at what makes us anxious or stressed or unhappy about our money mm. it's debt mm. and and credit card debt is at the very top of the list so If you're carrying a lot of credit card debt, I may split the difference. I may just acknowledge, okay, I'm not going to get the very best numerical return that I possibly get, but I'm going to take some of my money and throw it against that credit card debt. And I'm going to take some of my money and grab those matching dollars until I get rid of that credit card debt. And then I'm going to put up a lot of barriers so I don't incur it again. Mm, Great tips. Great tips.
1: Um, What about if... You're getting closer to retirement. What steps do you? What investing
2: steps do you suggest? So, um, interestingly, we we just rolled out a pre-retirement uh, uh, class for Finance Fix, which is our um, it, it's our cash management class. It's it's our spend less, save more, set some goals, and start moving in the direction of those goals. Class. And, and it's really to help you get some clarity around your money and figure out where it's going, what it's doing for you, and, and make sure that you're headed in the right direction. Um, it's, an, it's an eight-week course. Uh, and over the course of that 8 weeks we're finding that that people free up about $1500 which is pretty substantial that's that's an average and they use that to to save they use it to pay off debt or or to work toward another goal we just were in the middle of our first round of that class for pre-retirees and we've structured it as a as a pre-retirement checkup and and the first step there is to figure out what your budget in retirement? What you're spending in retirement is actually going to look like. People reach for these retirement goals. I need to have. Well, you you did the series. You know, okay. I need to have a million dollars. I need to have a million and a half dollars. I need to have two million dollars. But often those numbers are random. They, they heard that's what the number should be. And so that's what they're aiming for. But really, your number should be based on what it's going to take you to live the life that you have established for yourself for as long as you are estimating that you will live, which should be a really, really long time, again, for women. So we're helping people do that math to figure out, first of all, what their spending is gonna look like. And then are they on track to accumulate enough money that it will throw off when combined with social security enough to cover that monthly nut for 30 years, if not more. Um, and, And whether you go through that exercise with us, or whether you go through that exercise with a financial advisor, or whether you go through that exercise on your own, it's a necessary exercise, and it's really troubling to me that once people get into retirement, we know that many of them have never even tried to do it, and and that means you're just retiring into a vacuum, um, and it, it causes people to make a lot of bad decisions, like tapping Social Security too early. And pulling money from the wrong accounts on a tax basis when pulling it from some other place could mean that they've got a longer runway um, when it comes to to making their money last. So I think this idea of a pre-retirement checkup around your 50s, some mid-50s, 10 years-ish before you retire is, is one thing that everybody Ought to go through. We're, we're launching another one of those classes specifically for pre-retirees um, uh, in early April. So, so that that'll be available and we're going to keep running them because they're filling up, which is which is exciting for us. Um, another thing that you want to look at and, and is, is this social security question. People leave a lot of money on the table by tapping Social Security way too early when in fact they should be letting their Social Security benefit grow into their late 60s, if not age 70. And and even if that means pulling money out of retirement accounts because you're no longer working, that can be the smart move to make. You just have to run the numbers and you have to do it with your spouse because there's a lot of complications to see how it works for you if you have one. And if you're if you're um divorced or if you're widowed, it's even more complicated. So mm-hmm. there, there are a lot of levers that you that you want to pull on. And then the final thing I think to look at as you're heading toward retirement, is the equity in your home, which is for many people, the the largest asset that they will have accumulated and figuring out how they're going to use that and when they're going to use that. We we know that about 70% of people tell us they want to live in their home forever. And, And that is great as long as it lasts. Um, but only 1% of the housing stock in America is actually age friendly for people to retire in. So a lot of people are going to end up moving and you want that decision to be yours. You want, you want to be able to, to make it when you want to make it and, and use the money that you have accumulated as equity to, um, to set you up as best it can for for the rest of your life, whether that means staying in that home or not. Mm.
1: Speaking of retirement, I'm I'm thinking of so many women who have taken career breaks, whether it's to uh, raise kids or help elderly parents. How do you balance saving and investing for retirement when you are taking these breaks? What, What advice do you have for women in
2: those scenarios? It 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 is such it's such a good question. Um I'm I'm zooming with you uh from Philly. We we moved here to be closer to my mom who's in her 80s. Um and uh I, I would not call myself a caregiver at this point, but I'm close enough so that if and when I need to be a caregiver, I I am available to to help. Um being a caregiver is really costly in a lot of ways. Um, caregivers spend about an average of 7,000 out of their own pocket on care for the person that they're caring for each year. Um, when you step out of the workforce to, uh, to care for somebody else, you're not just losing your salary for that period of time. You're losing social security credits, Um, You're you're losing your ability to put money into your own retirement accounts. You're you're taking a step back when it comes to seniority um, and networking. And all of those things can be really, really costly. So the first thing I would say to people who are thinking that they are heading into their caregiving years is to think about whether there are ways to keep a foothold in the workforce um to not step out entirely and and whether stepping out at all is the right decision even if you're spending as much as you're earning on care for somebody else mm. if you stay in you're not losing those other things now there are a lot of people who want to step out and i think that that's i think that that is um great as long as you have thought through all of these all of these other decisions. But if you can make it easier for yourself to re-enter in some way, um, you're not gonna be sorry about that.
1: Yeah, it can be so hard and you wanna help other people, but you also gotta be able to help yourself and take care of yourself if needs be down the road. We have some audience questions that I would love for us to shift to for a bit. And this first one, is an interesting one. And you had mentioned sustainability a little bit before. And so um, our audience member writes that they're conflicted about investing in any company that isn't thinking about long term environmental impact. Um, and they're wondering is there a way to invest only in companies that are sustainable and green? And so I'm curious, you know, I'm not asking, you know, I don't know if you, you know, stock picks specifically but more maybe you can speak more or if you'd like to you're free to do that but overall what should we be thinking about when we're investing in you know ESG companies um
2: yeah i think i think we should understand it is a really complicated landscape and i'm conflicted just like you are about investing in companies that I don't think are are um, are walking the right road uh, toward a, a more sustainable future. But as I've dug into this topic, I've also learned that um, that the screens that we apply um, to try to sort out which companies are doing the right thing and which are not are are flawed, um, and some companies can be doing great things when it comes to climate but not such great things when it comes to taking care of their own workforce. So you have to be really um, specific when it comes to what you're looking for. If you um and and I it, if you sign up for investing fix, um, you get a free month but you also get access to our library and I would say, do that and go back and look at the class that I hosted with a woman named Janine Firpo, F I R P O. All of our past classes live in our library. She took us through how to do these screens using tools that are free. And so, if this is something that you want to see about doing for yourself with your specific guidelines and your specific Um, sort of caveats for how you want the world to look. She takes us through it and explains it much better than I could explain it here. And it's, it's there for you to watch. Right.
1: We have another question and this is from Barbara and she's wondering, she's got a large deferred compensation account and she's getting close to retirement about three years away. Wondering at what point should she convert all or some of that into a Roth IRA? And so I don't know if you want to speak a little bit about Roth IRA conversions or what should we be thinking about in general when we're getting close to
2: retirement and and where where our accounts should be located? Yeah. So Barbara, I would say now is a really good time for you to sit down with a financial advisor who has the tax software to look at account location and asset location, not asset allocation, but asset location, which as Veronica was just saying, is is an important component when it comes to which account do I draw from during a particular year. Roth assets are valuable because as you roll into retirement when you pull money out of a traditional retirement account whether it's an ira or a 401k you're going to have to pay income taxes at your current interest rate at the time and those current interest rates may well go up um, if you're paying attention to our our deficit so a lot of people try to put try to pay the taxes now rather than paying the taxes down the road because they are hedging their bets, that paying the taxes at their current tax rate will be less expensive than paying the taxes down the road. That's where Roth conversions come in. If you have a year where you've got a lower income, than most, if you've stepped out of the workforce, if there's been a layoff, if there've been certain things that have resulted in your income being lower, that can be a really great time to do a Roth conversion um, because you can do it at a lower tax rate. Uh, figuring all of this out is the job of a financial advisor who can look at your entire picture and help you sort of strategize about what to do when because one of the things that you probably don't want to do is pull money out of retirement in order to pay the taxes on a Roth conversion. It's better if that money already comes from uh, sources where you've previously paid the tax. But for any younger people who are watching, this is why you hear the Roth advice so often. When you're younger, your salary is t- typically lower than it will be when you're older. That means paying the taxes now on your retirement contributions rather than paying them after the money grows and grows and grows can be a really powerful thing to do.
1: We have a question from Timson. She's saying her mom is gearing up to retire. And you had mentioned equity in homes. And we've been encouraging her to move to a more tax-friendly state. Are there additional strategies that we should be considering, including renting versus owning during retirement?
2: Um, You know, it really depends on where where she wants to live and how she wants to use that money. Um, If she wants to, if you're encouraging her to move to a, a more tax friendly state, are you looking at a uh an apartment a house uh, a ccrc a continuing care retirement community where there will be lots of of different um uh, kinds of living available it's very very dependent on her own situation and what she needs in order to both get into the kind of housing that she wants but then also to sustain herself if much of her wealth is concentrated in this house Then freeing it up, downsizing, and renting or buying something smaller may make sense. And you can just run the calculations on renting versus buying in the community where she's going to get a sense of how that will work because it's very, very regional. Uh, You had mentioned financial advisors
1: before, Jean. At at what point do we know we need a financial advisor or a financial planner, would you say?
2: Uh, I think... It's an interesting question um, because sometimes you need a financial advisor and sometimes you just need some financial advice. Um, When you are looking for a relationship with somebody to manage your money on an ongoing basis, to do the investing for you, to meet with you a few times a year, to take this off your plate, then you need an ongoing relationship with a financial advisor. But if you are a DIYer, if you like doing all of this yourself and you just want somebody to look at your plan and see what you're doing, or if you're just trying to make a particular decision or two about how much you can spend on a house, or whether it's a smart move to borrow for college, or whether you should pay for college out of um, current cash flow if, if you have that capacity, That can mean a a shorter term engagement with a financial advisor where you're essentially paying a fee just to get some advice. And and you can do that um, because financial advisors have morphed. And there are advisors who work under the traditional assets under management model where they charge you a percentage of whatever it is you're giving them to manage. But there are also advisors who will just charge you a fee or charged by the hour, or charged by the plan. And you can find them at different sorts of organizations. There, there's an organization, okay. <laughs> excuse me, called the Garrett Planning Network, where they'll point you to advisors, fee-only advisors, but who will work by the hour. There's an organization called the XY Planning Network, where the models are a, a very different uh, sort of sort. Um, there are monthly retaining retainer fees, but there are also hourly plans and, and other different models available. So many great
1: things you've shared with us, so much amazing knowledge. And I know Angela is going to be coming on again to wrap us up. But before she does that, I would love for you to give us what are say three key takeaways from this event if you could send us home with three nuggets maybe we've covered or maybe we haven't covered that you advise us to consider
2: what would those be um number one i would say follow the money um follow your follow your own money i i we we go through life these days so quickly and money moves more quickly than i've ever seen it move in in my career with with zip with clicks and swipes and dips and taps and it, it it's really really hard to know what your money is doing for you unless you pay attention to it so even if it's just for a couple of weeks or a month take the time to look at where your money's going because that gives you the power to make changes about where your money is going and gives you the ability to to drive the bus. And it's how you free up additional money to invest, which is number two. If you are not investing for the long-term, saving and investing 10 to 15% of whatever it is you make, you're not gonna be able to sustain life in retirement. And so, if you're not there, try to use what you learn in that budgeting lesson to start nudging your way there, knowing that you're going to make up some ground um, when you uh, the next time you get a raise, and the time you get a raise after that, and eventually you'll get to that 10 to 15 percent level. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I would say, and it's it's very self serving, but come check us out at hermoney.com. Um come check out investing fix. We'd love to see you there. We have a lot of fun. And I, I think this is from everything that I've learned from you, Veronica and from Angela, a like-minded group. So um so I hope that we can we can uh you know stay in each
0: other's orbits.
1: I love it. Great. This is so, so great. Thank you so much, Jean. Angela, I'll let you take us away.
0: Yeah, uh, I was what a great, great event we had. What I loved is the simple talk from both Veronica and Jean and so much to nibble on. And I do, I mean, that whole investing fix sounds like a great idea. Gene. just uh, at the investing fix, you, you talk about individual stocks, but do you also give some education about the different types of investments like passive versus active and yep. mutual. So the, all of that comes in.
2: Too. Yeah. The, the course is, um is basically divided into two parts. So for the first part of each session, I, I, do a, a bit of a personal finance lesson. So we might talk about ESG or we might talk about target date funds or asset allocation or other things like, like um, paying off your student loans or how to get the the basics of an estate plan or how to pick guardians. And then Karen picks up the ball and and presents two uh, to investments for our group to consider. And once a month, we, we vote on the investments. And one of the things that has been the most fun is that, or members of our group who want to learn how to present stocks, do their own fundamental research, who have an idea for something that they think belongs in the portfolio, Karen will actually coach them so that they can make a presentation, and then our, then our members get to vote on something that the members have teed up. And we've bought a couple of those, so that's been a lot of fun as well.
0: Well, I, for those of you who don't know, Karen Feynman, she's still on. She's still on Fast Money. Is that still? a she show? is. She's a fantastic for many years. She was the only woman with this bunch of guys talked about hedge funds and stocks. She's a, she's, I think I could see where it would be a lot of fun, Jean. So I want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, hope that you will fill out a survey, which you will be getting. This event will be available on our website. And I think perhaps Jean's somehow her social media, so you can listen to it or send it to your friends. Um, So I really want to express thanks to both of you for all the time. And don't forget the preparation time. And one plug for our WISE website, we do have our past events. And Jean mentioned Social Security and the mistakes that people make. And there is a a fabulous program that we have on Social Security there with them. Mary Beth Franklin, who's one of uh, the experts in this whole area. So I urge you to take a look at that. But let's all sign up for, I get the newsletter. I love it. I'm looking at Investing Fix. I think it sounds terrific. Um, and a special thanks to our our community sponsor, SheVest at UCI. And uh, hope to see you next time. So thank you all for joining us. Big thank you.